From Chagdagumpa Riggs and Lane, this is Listen, Contemplate, Meditate, a podcast featuring a range of teachings from the Buddhist tradition presented by Lamas of Chagdagumpa Foundation. Our website is chagdagumpa.org. This prayer that we start with is a, a prayer to evoke um, the, the presence of Guru Padma Sambhava, which is the source of our lineage and teachings, and uh, a realized master who attained complete enlightenment. And uh, so from that time of Guru Mbache down until now, we have a lineage of teachings and methods and meditations to help us accomplish the same thing. The idea is to walk in the footsteps of the great masters, to emulate their qualities, to accomplish the same freedom and uh, realization of the true nature of our own mind in order that we can bring into the world blessings that we can bring into the world through you the wisdom and love and compassion that is the true inheritance that we have due to our Buddha nature. Our Buddha nature is our own being. But we've been pretending to be something, someone else for so long that now we've forgotten our true nature and we just kind of invent who we are. We wear lots of hats, you know. Today I'm an artist, tomorrow I'm a housekeeper, the next day I'm a lover, the next day I'm a businesswoman, the next day I have to take care of old grandparents, and I'm a servant, the next day, you know, I'm a maha shopper, I have to go make deals and negotiate. We just kind of shift roles and identities all the time, never really understanding who we actually are. And that's okay to a degree, playfully, if you can enjoy that, it's okay. But it's when we have the disturbances and anxieties that it's not okay. I'm not every, everybody every superwoman mom in the world. I'm not the answer to everyone's needs. I don't even know how to answer my own needs. And we start to have a crisis of identity. Actually, a crisis of identity is is kind of a, a good thing. Because when this kind of masquerade of purpose and... Uh, and our Facebook presentation of who we would like people to think that we are starts to break, then a kind of opportunity presents itself, an opportunity to be more authentic. Uh, We call uh, samsara an ocean of suffering. The unenlightened mind experiences this ocean of suffering, samsara. But there's another translation of samsara, which I like a lot, which is called the endless cycle of becoming. 
of always becoming. The anguish and the pain and the stress of always having to become. Because we, we don't know who we are. So we have to become something. If we don't become properly in accordance to our idea of what's proper, then we start to have failure and insecurity and anguish. But you know, even if you are able to become something great, like, you know, something great, respectable in the world, the, the tragedy is that it's impermanent. And so then all these roles, all these faces, all these efforts at becoming, eventually they fall off. All the masks fall off. And therein lies the potential to realize Buddha nature. It's an opening an opportunity. It's not pleasant, it's quite difficult, but how we negotiate and manage that moment to great realization and authenticity is by understanding that you're not the only one who goes through this. You're not the only one bearing the burden of endless trying to become something. You're not the only one who is experiencing the failure And the failure can be immense. It's not just a human problem. This is a problem that strikes all unenlightened beings. Until you realize enlightenment, there is the failure of your efforts to become. And eventually we die, and there it is. Whatever you became sort of kind of finished right there. But then there's this habit, the habit to become, the habit to strive, the habit to try to, to, and then again and again and again and again. Hence the endless cycles of becoming. This is called samsara. And it's a cause for great compassion. Compassion for all the beings who bear the burden of the necessity and insecurity to always have to become. Instead of the freedom and the fulfillment of simply being, being your true nature, This is what we call Buddha. And it's very amazing when you experience your authentic nature. You don't have the same insecurity. When we are not experiencing our true nature, we kind of feel like there's something going wrong, there's something a little bit mistaken. Maybe I have to be careful, I need to watch what's going on. I need to plan, I need to scheme, I need to schedule. I need to make it work. I have to run, I have to make this, you know, and then there's the assessment. Is it working, is it not working? We're trying very hard 
to antidote something going wrong. But what is really going wrong is that we are not recognizing the true nature of our being. And when that recognition is absent, we have a sense of something missing. The ignorance of not knowing our true nature leads us to feel that something is missing. Is missing, so I have to get it. We're not even sure what it may be. But whatever it is, it makes me feel better if I can get it. So this um, organizer that is kind of assessing what's missing, what's necessary, that's, that's having these sensations and feelings and emotions based on perceived uh, um, flaws or failures, this is called I. I feel. I need. I don't need. I want. I don't want. I like. I want. I don't like. I don't want. So we have a kind of a come to a conclusion that who we are in our mind is I. But the Buddhas and the Bodhisattvas and the great masters are saying, well, yes, that's understandable, but it's not true. It's not really who you are. Who you are is far greater than I. But what we use and who we think that we are is I. And I has lots of limitations. I is basically confused. And it's a concept. It's a concept that arises in our mind, kind of a complex um, conclusion that we don't question. We don't really look back and say, well, who decided that I is what is going on here? Who decided that I is who I am? Where did that come from? We're not questioning the observer. And as a Buddhist, and as we follow the traditions of these great masters, what we're questioning is the observer. What we're questioning is the subjective assumption of a sense of independent self. That is who I am. And it's interesting because the self, who I am, quote-unquote, is happy, searching for happiness all the time. And trying to avoid unhappiness all the time. That's what I does. And it does it in different ways. If I have more, I'll be happy. If I lose something or I'm reduced or I have less, I'll be unhappy. If I have praise and uh, approval, I'll be happy. If I have disapproval or criticism, I'll be unhappy. If I have recognition, someone knows my name, 
If I'm important to someone, I'll be happy. If I'm ignored, overlooked, insignificant, nobody knows me, I'm invisible, I'm unhappy. This is the, the, these are the, the arms, and the, it's like eight arms of I. More, not less, praise, not criticism, recognition, not obscurity. I want to be happy, I don't want to be unhappy. But the tr none, of, none of these efforts of the arms of I can actually produce lasting happiness because anything that I experiences is impermanent, including I. It is impermanent. And what it's busy with is impermanent. No way to make it work. Even if it seems like it's working for a little bit, or you think, if I could just have these little, these, just this few little, I don't need much, just a few little things that will just be a little bit more and not lose this, and a little management here, I can do this, I can make this. And if everybody goes along with me and lets me, I could be happy. And that is a lie. A lie we tell ourselves. Ourself tells ourself a lie. Because no matter, even if you accomplish happy, it's not keepable. Even if you can manage, like for example, the story lasts from the moment that you have that exhilaration, it begins to change. It's not as exhilarating. It's not as thrilling. It's a little bit pale. And eventually it turns to dust and blows away in the wind. Because it was impermanent from the beginning. Nothing that this concept of ourself can produce is lasting. So then we, ha we have a problem, don't we? because we're pursuing happiness in a situation where it's not findable or keepable. Often, it's not even findable. There are many who spend their whole life searching for some little moment of this self-satisfaction that they can just relax there and it's okay, and they never find that. The ones who do find that it slips through their fingers. But we all kind of running. It's interesting to think, look at Sao Paulo from an overview. Where are they all going? What are they all doing? They are using their eight arms. More, not less. Praise, not criticism. Recognition, not obscurity. Happy, happy, not unhappy, not unhappy. Going, moving, running. And then, day by day, breath by breath, it's impermanent. So this is what the Buddha called suffering. The endless cycle of becoming. 
the frustration and the futility of the fact that our system that we're using can't really produce lasting happiness. And yet that's what we all want. So where's the solution then? The solution is in the resolution of the liar. You have to realize that that I is not really the ground of your mind. We have I. We don't have to be upset about it. We have it. It's a concept. It's okay. You know, it's good when you realize I need to take a shower. That's a good thing. That's okay. I need to eat. That's okay. Yeah, I should answer the phone. That's okay. But the anxiety, the desperation, the futility, the frustration, this is also along with that simple, conceptual, organizing feature. When you expect too much of it, instead, you have to use your organizing feature to realize the true nature of your mind beyond I. And that That's why we listen to the teachings of the Buddha. That's why we contemplate what the Buddha taught and we try to understand what's really going on here. And that is why we, 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 when we understand, we can begin to refashion our organizing feature to compassion. We can refashion our, this is called practice, refashion our organizing feature to wisdom. We turn our mind to the nature of mind and we can be free of the machinery and the limits of the intellect. And we can experience what's called sabadurya. That true nature of our mind has great qualities. And unless we can understand the blessings of the great masters to bring to us a tradition where we could, instead of just helplessly pursuing the futility of ordinary becoming, and cessation of that becoming, we could realize the true nature of our mind. The greatest quality of this true nature of our mind is that it's perfect. It has perfection. Not perfect like compared to imperfect, but limitless, all-pervasive, unceasing, omnidirectional, timeless perfection. No need for becoming. In terms of our life and our activity, you might think that the Buddha is implying that you should be ineffective, or that he's saying you don't need to, to accomplish anything, or you should just, you know, be kind of holy little bumps on the log, sitting there, doing nothing. No, it's not like that. Our ambitions, our qualities, our talents are all fruits of your 
your qualities of Buddha mind. But the management of those qualities shouldn't just be designed to your self-satisfaction. They should be designed to the satisfaction and well-being of all beings. This is the difference of the reorganization. So, okay, more. Well, more just for you, more for you and your family, more for you and your friends, more for what? More for who? More for just you and what, your species? Okay, if you're going to work for more, why not more for every being? Why is it just for the preferred ones? Or your, your clan, or your, your group? This is the difference. The refashioning of your talents to a benefit for all beings begins to open your mind your power, your capacities, your talents, to a selfless purpose. This is not for a Buddhist practice and meditation. It's not to make you ineffective. Oh, I'm too holy, I can't answer the phone. Uh, no. You answer the phone, but why? You answer the phone in order that all beings could attain Buddha nature. You answer the phone from your compassion. You answer the phone for a solution, not just a personal solution, not an exception for you and yours. You know, this preferential treatment is one of our problems, that we're not actually able to be inclusive of the fulfillment and well-beings of all beings. And so as a result, this little self organizer is there picking and choosing. Okay, I'm going to do it, but I'm going to do it for me. I'm going to do it for mine. I'm going to do it okay. I'm going to do it for all blonde people. Okay, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it only for the poor. Okay, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. Picking and choosing. Who is picking and choosing? So then, instead of doing it the way that we've always done it, it's we reorganize, refashion our expression through the um, example of all the great masters and the Buddhas and the Bodhisattvas who have accomplished the direct, authentic being. And how they show, okay, you do it like this. You do it as love. You do it as compassion. You answer the phone differently. Everything, the whole life, is a possibility and an opportunity to, to change this habit of self-centeredness into a freedom of self and a radiant expression of love and compassion that comes from your authentic being. And that's how you answer the phone. That's how you make a coffee. That's how you take a walk. That's who you are when you kiss someone. That's how you take a shower. You take a shower like that. Instead of, oh, just me scrubbing things down for me. 
And so this is why we have to kind of make an effort to follow in the footsteps of these great masters to accomplish the realization of what they could realize so that you can know the perfection that permeates you too. And then you have this great reservoir of fulfillment and well-being to shine from, to care from, to serve from, to kiss from, to work from, to offer. so that every being could come from there. So herein lies the compassion of the Buddha, that you have a nature like this, but you're not noticing, that you have a a quality, you have qualities like this, but we're not experiencing them. So in order that you and all unenlightened beings could realize their own Buddha nature, then the Buddha taught. Not only the Buddha taught, people listened. Not only did they listen and comprehend, they began to follow in the footsteps of the Buddha. Those footsteps aren't going out, those footsteps are going in to realize the nature of the mind. Not only the Buddha and the Buddha's students, but down through time, teacher and students turning their mind towards the realization of the true nature of the mind to conquer this uh, system of impermanence and suffering and realize the true nature of the mind beyond impermanence and suffering. Not only for ourself, because in this case, self, where is self? But not only for ourself, but that every being could experience the nature of the mind beyond self and be free within the wealth and the abundance and the completeness, completeness of true nature. All of us know, as ordinary people, that we become exhausted when we try to help others. We get sick, we get gray, we, we get old, we get crabby, because it's endless and nobody helps, and I do it all by myself, blah, blah. This is what happens when we aren't able to really come from our true nature. When we're coming from our small, insecure self, we aren't able to continue to help. And at some point, it becomes logical to Ao that I have to take care of Ao. And actually, this this I-ness is like a spoiled child. No matter how much love and care and affection you give to this spoiled child, it's never enough. Never, never, never. And now we have these kind of like um, sayings that, oh, well, you have to love yourself first and then you can love others. Well, I disagree. 
I disagree because I don't think you'll ever have time to love anybody else. Your AO will be so insecure it will take every minute that you've got, and it still won't be satisfied because AO is not true. AO is a shadow. AO is a, f a figment. It's not really authentic. It's never actually true. That's why it's so much work. It's never going to be true. A lie is never true. No matter how much you try to make it true, or you forget that it's not true, it's still not true. So, we become exhausted. All so many hats we wear, we become tired, and we become bitter. And we start thinking, I, I can't help anybody, I have to take care of me first. And then, we're in trouble. Because Eo has harnessed all of our qualities to sink in a hole. And we become depressed and despondent, and we're not happy. Wham. It's to be expected. But it doesn't have to be that way. You have to use the intelligence of your human life, the, the, the freedom and the, and the ease of your human life, which is not all that easy, but it is good. This, this human life is a chance for you to look back and see past Eo. To experience the true nature of your mind. And in that, you have the, the reservoir to offer. You don't even, it isn't even a loss to offer. It's a joy to offer. It's wonderful to offer. But if you get on the wrong platform, you get on this platform of self and insecurity and your hats and your false identities and your, you know, management of all these options, trying to squeeze a little bit of happiness out for yourself, just doesn't work. But that's really kind of what people are doing, sadly. So instead, with compassion for the tragedy of unenlightened being, take, take your human opportunity, just even for a few seconds, a few minutes, and look back. Who's looking? Begin, then you begin to see there's no one there, really, holding that spot. That spot is open. You look back and you see there's openness there. I mean, you might have to look past a bunch of anxiety and you might have to look past a bunch of hope and fear that AO is doing, but when you, when you refuse to, to feed that that 
insecurity and you just relax and look back, you'll see there's something open there. That openness has qualities. And you begin to realize you don't have to be driven and mega-managed by this insecurity. So then people want to get rid of it. Now, we do need to talk about that a little bit because, you know, trying to get rid of insecurity is insecurity. What we have to do is just think, okay, my mind is a little neurotic right now. Two to bang. A little neurotic, a little bit of hope and fear. I'm desperate and grasping here, but I can relax. Just drop it. You don't have to listen to everything your mind is saying all the time. In my opinion, when I first started to meditate, I felt like my mind, it was like listening to the refrigerator. The refrigerator is making noise. But we don't listen to it. Do do you listen to the refrigerator? (laughs) If you're listening to the refrigerator, pretty soon you're going to hear God in the refrigerator. And you should come talk with me about it. Because you shouldn't be really listening to the refrigerator. But our mind runs like that. We have the refrigerator of our mind just making noise there. Why are you listening? Why? It's okay. Don't worry about... I I told Rinpoche when I first... He was first hearing me, he said, Rinpoche, I spend my whole meditation trying to find the plug for the refrigerator of my mind because I have to unplug this thing. And Rinpoche just laughed at me. He said, you don't have to unplug it. Why are you listening? Relax your mind. This is what we call meditation. And there are many kinds of meditations to help you be able to to get past this neurotic, insecure, dominant, overbearing, takes up all the air in the room, self-centeredness. And there's this lovely openness of being, not demanding at all, never absent, always present, quality of goodness. Not goodness versus badness, but just simple, open, basic being that doesn't have to become Once you have this opportunity, usually through the kindness of the Lama, you come to a moment where you can experience this openness of being, then you begin to understand, what are they all talking about? Why we would say that prayer before every teaching, before every meditation, to remember someone knows and is that essence. That is Buddha. That is Guru Rinpoche. And we wish to follow in their footsteps. 
that you could be Buddha, that your mind and the mind of absolute awareness inseparable with the, the totality of reality could be accomplished in you beyond the idea of I. And that with compassion for whoever fails to understand this, who's looking past it, who's listening to the refrigerator, that we could help them, serve them, shine a little light that whoever sees me or hears me or touches me or remembers me could wake up and realize the true nature of their mind. All right, I'm going to stop there today. There's plenty for you to think about. And hopefully it goes beyond just thinking about it and you can find a way to commit yourself beyond yourself out of compassion for all beings that every being could attain realization of enlightenment. This podcast is supported by the generosity and kindness of Chagdagumpa members and donors. If you're interested in becoming a member, making a donation, or if you want to learn more about Chagdagumpa, feel free to go to chagdagumpa.org.